Well, good morning, everybody, and we're so glad you're with us today. Thank you for watching from your homes or maybe while you're out walking on your phone or gathered with your family around the TV, however it is. We are so grateful you're with us. We're launching this morning into a long study of the Gospel of John, and this has the potential, if we allow the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do, this has the potential to greatly build our faith. As a matter of fact, that's the reason, one of the reasons, John wrote it. John 20, verse 31. He said, but these have been written, these things that he put down, in order that you may believe, it's all about faith, that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and through your faith in him you may have life. Next week, we're going to drill down into chapter 1. And my goal in the outset is to go through a chapter a week. I know that's ambitious, but uh, we'll monitor it as we go along and just be trusting God to lead us in that. But I'm going to go through chapter 1 next week. So my encouragement is get out your Bible and start to read through the Gospel of John. Read through chapter 1 next week. Take little notes. Prayerfully ask God for insights and come prepared as we do the same here on Sunday morning. But this morning, before we launch into the book, I want to talk about the man who wrote the book. Because to fully understand the Gospel of John, we're going to need to understand John's relationship with Jesus. Because he wrote this book in that context, out of that filter of his experiences, his relationship, his life with Christ. So that's where we're headed today. You can take some notes. And for some of you, this is brand new stuff about John. For others, my prayer is you'll learn some things new about him. But at the end, all of us will be encouraged that when we read his book, we're reading firsthand accounts of Jesus that are trustworthy and that we can rely on. So let's, let's dig in. Before he met Jesus, John was a fisherman. He had a brother named James, and they were together in the family fishing business. Now, sometimes we think of fishermen today as pretty blue-collar, but not back then. If you owned a boat and you had nets and uh, you had all of that, you were doing pretty well. You were set for a lifetime. John met Jesus one day at the baptism of John the Baptist, where Jesus was being baptized, and we're going to look at that next week. But John fully decided to follow Jesus one day while he was fishing, while he was doing what he did most every day. James, John, and his dad are out on the lake. Uh, they see Jesus walking along the shore, and they've already met Jesus, so they know who he is. He calls them to leave it all behind. Leave that business. Follow him. Now, what he was really doing was inviting John to be his student. If you lived back in the day of Jesus and you wanted a higher education, you wanted to study theology, uh, you wouldn't apply to some local Bible college. What you would do is find a teacher or a teacher might find you. And if you found a teacher, you would uh, adhere to him, you would uh, hang out with him, and you would learn from him. Sometimes those teachers were in one specific area, 
And sometimes they traveled like Jesus traveled. So the first part of the relationship between John and Jesus was student and teacher. But because it was the traveling kind of school, John got to hang out with Jesus all the time. Uh, They would eat together. They would uh, have common life experiences, things that they did together. They spent so much time together that as you read the Gospel of John, you'll see that they start to really develop a deep affection for one another. They became friends, brothers. And it was almost like the commitment that two brothers have for one another. Now, we don't know how old John was. We do know he was probably the youngest of all the disciples. But if Jesus is 30, then when John meets him, John's in his mid to late 20s. So he's the kid brother of all the disciples. He's the the little annoying brother hanging around with everybody, tagging around with Jesus and the older guys. He had a lot of growing to do. He had a lot of growing up to do. And that's why I have great confidence that his account, this gospel of John that he wrote, is not filtered in any way. Because John reveals in this gospel his mistakes, his immaturity. He doesn't hide it. He doesn't try to say, I'm writing this now to make myself look good. It's all out there for the world to see. Like the time... When John came to James, came to Jesus along with his brother James, and he had a request. He said, Master, can you do us a favor? And Jesus said, Well, what do you want? He said, and they said to him, We'd like to have two seats. We'd like to sit at two thrones, one on your right and one on your left when you come into your kingdom, ruling alongside of you. I'll give him this. John is zealous. He wants to change the world. He wants the stuff that Jesus has been talking about to come to pass. And he figures the best way for that to happen is for him, John, to have this position in the kingdom of God where he can uh, be a mover and a shaker and a director and a leader. Uh, Jesus, put me in that position, and then your kingdom will really take off. Now, a lot of us do that. We first start to follow Christ. We uh, think the way for this to happen is for me to get a position. Uh, I need to be an elder, a leader, uh, uh, in charge of something. Then really, things will start to happen, and really, the kingdom of God will start to flourish. And Jesus told him, no. Some people work that way. They take their power, and they lord it over people. But for you? If you want to be the greatest, if you want to make the greatest difference in the world, here's how to do it. Serve. Give of yourself. Sacrifice. Take the lower place. Then you'll be the greatest. Now, some of us never get this. Some of us spend our whole life striving for a name, a position, a title, a full-time job in the ministry. Uh, Jesus said, serve. That's the way to do it. John was immature. That's the request of an immature person. But 
his immaturity did not stop Jesus from investing in him. And this is the wonderful thing about Jesus. He takes us just like we are, as immature as we are. And if he sees inside of our heart a potential to grow, a desire to grow, he'll invest in us big time. He did it with John. Jesus had 12 disciples. You know that. But out of those 12, he had three that he invested the most time in and with. Peter, James, and, yeah, John, the one who wrote this account we're going to be reading through in the weeks to come. And that means that John, out of all the people on planet Earth, along with Peter and James, was eyewitness to stuff that nobody else got to see. As we read his gospel, we'll see accounts of things that only he and two other people got to see, got to experience. They were there. One of those was something that happened on a mountain. We call it now the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus took those three guys, the big three, I'll call them. He took them on top of that mountain, and while they were there, all of a sudden, Jesus in all his glory was revealed. Now, we're not sure exactly what that looked like, but we know that Jesus, to a certain degree, he was, he, to a, he was, he was God, and to a certain degree, he had to, to veil, like put a veil over his glory. If he's going to walk around on planet Earth and look like a regular guy, he can't be uh, glowing uh, like he was in heaven. He had, to re- he had to take that glory and veil it in some way. But not this moment, not on that mountain. On that mountain, he was transfigured. Something happened where uh, you could see coming out of him the glory of God, like the Shekinah glory in the Old Testament. Incredible. Only three people got to see it. John got to see it. And not only that, some other stuff happens as well. He gets to talk to Moses. Moses, the guy that wrote the Ten Commandments. Moses who has been dead a long time. This 20-something-year-old young guy sees Jesus transfigured, gets to talk to Moses, gets to talk to Elijah who never died, who went straight up into heaven. Then he gets to hear the voice, the actual voice of the Father, Father God, who said, this is my son. Speaking of Jesus, I love him. And he got to hear the actual voice of God give him a lifetime job description. The Father told him, your job is to listen to my son. Now, this is heady stuff for a 25-year-old or so young person. But he took it seriously. He took that job description seriously. He listened so well that after Jesus died, he taught others the things that Christ taught him. And as an old man, and that's when he wrote the Gospel of John, as an old man, after a lifetime of repeating to others what Christ had told him, he was able to pin this Gospel of John, write it down for us to read today. Now, John had other experiences in life, and every one of them influenced the letter, I mean, the epistle, uh, it's not an epistle, the Gospel that he wrote. Let me give you some of them. Many revolved around the crucifixion and the resurrection. John was with Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you know this story. Before Christ was betrayed, 
before they came to get him to crucify him, he went to a garden before he was handed over, and he prayed. Everybody was exhausted that day. All the disciples went with Christ. He told nine of them, you stay over there. But he told the big three, you come a little further with me. And then he told these three guys who he depended on, who he'd been closer to than anybody else. He told them, please pray with me. Pray with me. When Jesus prayed, he was sorrowful to the point of death. He sweat great drops of blood, and he needed these three guys to be with him, to stand by him, to pray with him during the most difficult part of his life. And they kept falling asleep. When Jesus needed them the most, they weren't there. Now, I'm sure that John, the rest of his life, regretted that night. You ever failed? You ever blown it? Did you ever make a big boast, kind of like John did? Put me on your right hand, Jesus, and and, uh, and let me rule in your kingdom, and it'll be great. And then turn around and find yourself failing at the most simple of the most simplest things, staying awake to pray at a time when someone needed you the most. John did. And I bet he was triggered. I bet whenever he went to a prayer meeting after that, he was reminded, wow, I fell asleep. I bet he was reminded uh, of what he did that day. But he wasn't the kind of guy that would let his failure cause him to lapse into self-pity and just give up trying to follow Christ. Because a short time later, he is there at the cross. Now, we're not told that any of the other disciples are there. We don't know. But we are told that John was there with these women who gathered, including the mother of Jesus. He's an emotional wreck. Mary's an emotional wreck. But John's there. And and I think John has learned from Jesus grace. And he knows that though he failed Christ, It doesn't mean that it's over. He can get up and try again. And he's going to pass that message on in his book of 1 John, 2 John, 3 John to generations to come. He's at the cross. And I picture him there with his arm around Mary just trying to comfort her. Jesus is looking down in the moment of his greatest agony at this scene, his mother and his little brother, John. And I don't think he's surprised. Because he knows what's inside of John. That's why he invested in him. He looks down as he can catch a breath. And he says, Mary, Mom, this is your son now. And John, this is your mom. Church history tells us that John took that assignment very seriously. It tells us that John cared for Mary after that time. He loved her and he served her just like she was his mom. The Bible's not done when it gives us stories of John. There's a few more. We next see him at the tomb. Some ladies went to see the body of Jesus. They come back and tell the disciples, he's not there. Most of them just don't do anything, but two get up and run to go find out if the story's true. You know who they are? 
Peter, he's always doing stuff like that. And you guessed it, John. Who gets there first? Well, it's the young guy, John. He gets there first. He goes in. He's the first disciple to see an empty tomb. So when we read in the weeks to come the the account that John gives us of the resurrection, you can trust it. He knows what he's talking about. He actually walked into that tomb and saw that Christ was gone. After the resurrection, John and James and Peter go back to fishing. I don't know exactly why they did that. Maybe they thought it's the resurrection, but is it going to impact our lives? Are we supposed to just go back to fishing and then somehow uh, get another assignment? I don't know. But they're back fishing. And all of a sudden, they see Jesus walking along the shore towards their boat. Now, remember how John started his ministry? Started this tutoring relationship, we call it discipleship, with Jesus. John was on a boat. Jesus walking on a shore. It's come full circle. Three years or so later, John's on the boat again. Jesus on the shore again. This time, the resurrected Jesus. Who's the first person to recognize him? It's John. He was there at the Last Supper. He saw the trials. He saw the crucifixion. He saw the empty tomb. And now he's the one to see Jesus resurrected on the shore. He spent some more time with Jesus. He saw Jesus go up into heaven bodily. And that's where the biblical account of Jesus with uh, John ends. But it's not where the story ends. We're going to piece together some other things about John to kind of flesh out this man who wrote this gospel, to flesh out his story. Here's what history tells us. John outlived all of the other disciples. Matter of fact, all of them died a martyr's death in one way or the other because they would not deny their faith. All of them were martyred, killed in some way, but not John out of all of them. He lived to a very old age. We're not sure exactly how old, but very old. And this gospel we're going to start reading, he wrote it as an older man. But he'd been writing it for years. He'd been telling it for years. As Jesus had discipled him, he discipled others. He became a pastor, a leader, a teacher in the church. And he discipled, he taught the stories of Jesus over and over. They were so much a part of his life that when he sat down to write them, they were as clear as if they had happened to him yesterday. But, you know, when he wrote this gospel, he didn't know he was writing the Bible. <laughs> there was no Bible at that point. Uh, they, the New Testament wasn't put together until centuries later. He didn't know he was writing the Bible. He didn't know he was writing one of the Gospels in the New Testament. He was writing a firsthand account of what he saw and what he heard. Here's what he wrote. What our ears have heard and what our hands have touched, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of of life. This is just a story, an account, a first-hand account, uh, a narrative of his life with Jesus. He was there 
when Jesus taught. He was there when Jesus fed the thousands with the fishes and the loaves. He was there, got to see eyeball to eyeball Lazarus, who had been dead, coming out of the grave. He got to see Jesus ascend into heaven. We're going to read his account. History tells us they tried to kill John as well. They asked him to deny his faith. He refused to do so, and so they boiled him alive. We're not sure if it was with water or with oil, different accounts, but they boiled him in this incredible pain saying, deny Jesus, but he wouldn't. They took him out of the vat of boiling water, no doubt scarred, no doubt in pain, no doubt the scars lasting all of his life, but they saw he wouldn't deny Christ through torture. So they sent him to isolation, kind of what we're all experiencing now. They sent him to an island called Patmos, which is off the coast of modern-day Turkey, and there he was in isolation. They said, we can't make you deny Christ through torture, then we're just going to isolate you on this island where you can't tell anybody else about him. And one day while he was on that island, removed from his church, removed from all the people he loved, he says, I was praying on the Lord's Day. That's Sunday. And he said, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. He was having a worship time all by himself. And you can do that every day during this quarantine time. I I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And he says, at that moment, Jesus came to him. The resurrected Jesus came to him in his loneliness and in his isolation on that island. And my prayer is that Jesus is real to you in your isolation, just like he was to John. John had failed Jesus during a moment of Jesus' greatest need, but Jesus didn't fail John. He came to him when he needed him the most. That's Jesus. You know what happens on that island? Jesus is there, and he gives John a vision. John writes it down. We call it the book of Revelation. That's where it all came from. Jesus appearing to John on an island, he wrote it all down. Someplace along the line, he writes 1 John, 2 John, 3 John. There are three letters. We don't know when he wrote them, but thank God we still have them today. They were put together in this book we now call the Bible. At the end of his life, John got to a point where he was so old and so feeble that he couldn't preach anymore. God, by his grace, let him live a very long life. And so he got off the island. He was back in civilization, back with his church family, but he couldn't preach anymore. And he was so old that he couldn't really get out much anymore. So history tells us that on Sundays... The Christian brothers in his church would go to his house and they would pick him up, literally, physically pick him up, carry him to church meeting on Sunday mornings. They would put him in the front row and everybody would just be looking, there is John. There's the last one still alive who was one of the actual, literal, physical disciples of Jesus. And they would just stare at John. And they would be looking, hoping John would say something. And he did. 
for several months, perhaps years, John in these meetings would have one message. People would lean forward when John would start to talk and gather around him, and he would say this. This was his sermon he would preach. Little children love one another. Little children love one another. That was his message. He would repeat it over and over again. And I'm sure somebody thought, whoa, is he going to say something new? He didn't. Little children love one another. That became his life message. Where did he get it? From Jesus. From walking with, talking to, being with Jesus face-to-face for three years. Jesus loved John. Jesus loves us. John's life message was love, so much so that he wanted to give us a written record of Jesus. Now, that's great love. And I'm so glad he wrote it down for us. And by God's sovereign grace, this written record was copied and copied meticulously and copied meticulously. Finally, around the third century, it was put into a series of other written records. Matthew's gospel, Mark's, Luke's, and then John's. John wrote this in his written record. We're going to read this. He said, these things are written that you might believe. And if that's what happens over the next few weeks, perhaps months, I don't know how long we're going to do this. If that's what happens, if you believe as a result of an eyewitness testimony, if you believe more as a result of John's story, then our time would have been well spent. Lord Jesus, thank you that we have this record. Thank you for a young man named John who had a lot to learn, but learned it well. Thank you for a life well lived. Thank you that you preserved a firsthand testimony for us to read. And Lord, I pray that we do not neglect it, that we read it, that we study it. And in the process, our faith grows to where we're kind of like John who got to see it all firsthand, that we can see it through the eyes of faith. Amen. Amen. God bless you.